there's one thing that we are good at as people, uh, it is making snap judgments about one another. Uh, It's something that we just do naturally. We don't even have to think about it most of the time. I mean, as soon as you meet someone new for the first time, immediately your mind starts to categorize them in different ways, to judge them in different ways, and you kind of get that first impression. And sometimes that first impression goes a long way into how you interact with someone, how you talk with them, and really the way you think about them for the rest of your relationship. And we make these snap judgments on a long, lengthy list of criteria. Uh, We may look at the way someone is dressed and all of a sudden make snap judgments about what we think they're like. We might listen to the way that they talk and all of a sudden make snap judgments about their history and their past. We might just look at the way they carry themselves and think all kinds of different things that may or may not be true. But in an instant, when we meet someone, we immediately have a judgment about that person. And this doesn't even like have to be people that we are knowing and talking to. It could just be people we see from a distance. Uh, I remember one of the things that we used to do as a family is we would go to homeschool conventions in uh, Orlando, Florida. And all the homeschool families would gather together uh, and, and we would all learn about different techniques and we would hear lectures on history and all kinds of different things. And one of the goals that we had as a family when we went to events like that is that we did not want our kids to look like homeschool kids. Because if you've ever been to a convention like that, there are some of them that, man, you can just spot. And you can make those snap judgments and see, yep, that's a homeschool kid right there. I can tell, all right? And our kids are homeschooled. And it's one of those things that as we're kind of gathering around, and we make those judgments of other people. But in James, he tells us that we should have no such partiality among us. We should make no such divisions, and we should make no such judgments, and we should give no people special treatment in the church because we are one in the body of Christ. Uh, I, I remember hearing a story from some friends of ours who used to attend a church in Florida and they were talking about the fact that, you know, that this was a big church that they were attending. It had several thousand people that would attend each Sunday. And they got a phone call one day, and it was an invitation for them to come and have coffee with the pastor of the church. And they thought to themselves, well, that's kind of interesting. You know, we haven't been going all that long. Maybe they just want to reach out and get to know. And so, you know, they went and they had their coffee meeting and they had about, you know, 15, 20 minutes that they were able to just sit and chat and talk and get to know them a little bit. And they started asking around their friends at the church if they had had a similar visit from the pastor. And they said, no, we've never gotten a call like that. We've never received an invitation like that. That's really interesting. I wonder why that is. Come to find out the reason they got such an invitation was because the amount that they were tithing to the church hit a certain bracket. And when they got to that certain bracket, it got them extra privileges as being a part of the member of that local body of believers. James would be appalled because he very clearly states in the passage we are looking at today that we are not to make judgments and we are not to give special treatment towards people based on such external requirements. And so we're going to see that as we look into the text today. We're looking at James chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. 
And we see here in the text, it starts out saying, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. And one thing that's emphasized here in the first verse of chapter 2 is the fact that as we gather together as Christians, really there should be only one among us who is distinct. And there should be only one among us who is given special treatment. And there should be only one among us who is looked to with any extra amount of admiration, love, and affection. And that is Jesus Christ himself. Because as James says, he is the Lord of glory. He is God in the flesh. And he is the one to whom we owe all of our affection, all of our praise, and all of our love. And so we owe that to him, and we give Christ special treatment in this place, and we give Christ special affection in this place. We don't make special judgments amongst one another because James tells us to show no partiality. And you might sit there and think to yourself, well, why is showing partiality, like, why is that such a big deal? Well, first and foremost, it, it goes against the very character and nature of God. You know, even written into God's law is the idea that we should not show partiality towards one another. And you see that all the way back in Leviticus chapter 19. In Leviticus 19, we see a long list of laws and we see a long list of sayings. But specifically in verse 15, the text here says, You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. And see, with the very foundation of God's law, we are told that we're not supposed to be partial towards people based on how much money they have in the bank. I mean, you've all seen news reports that kind of hint towards when those things happen in our court system. Maybe you look at all of a sudden there's someone who's rather wealthy and rather influent in the society and they get brought up on charges, and it's a slam dunk case, and there's absolutely no way that anyone could mis misunderstand or make a mistake, like this person was guilty. And then sentencing comes, and all of a sudden they don't get what you feel they deserve for the crime they committed. See, we see these things happen, and we know that it's injustice. We know that it's wrong, and we know that no matter what a person's bank account has, they should be held to the same standard and the same rule of law as everybody. And right in God's law, that's what it says to do. It says, listen, it doesn't matter if they're rich. It doesn't matter if they're poor. You don't defer from someone because they have wealth and power in the community. You don't go more harshly on someone because they find themselves in poorer circumstances. But no, you let your righteous judgments be true, the same in all things and all places. And there's a reason that we can't let that kind of thinking enter into the church. And it's because of who we are. And it's because of what's been done for us. You go back to Galatians chapter 3, and Paul makes this astounding statement. You remember in the book of Galatians, Paul is dealing with the fact that there are Jewish Christians who are thinking the Gentile believers are lesser. Paul is writing to a group of people who are trying to be swayed to the idea that they must first become Jewish in order to then become true Christians. And in, in the face of that belief and in the face of that thought, Paul makes this astounding statement. He says in verse 27 of chapter 3, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. 
There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. So understand what Paul's saying there in Galatians to this church. He is looking at this group of people and he's saying, listen, it, it doesn't matter all of these external things that exist. And we need to understand that in the churches in Galatia, there were slaves and free. There were Jews and Gentiles. There were men and women. But what Paul is trying to point out and what Paul is trying to, to show us is the fact that all of those external qualities don't make any difference. It doesn't matter in the eyes of God whether you are a Greek or a Jew. It doesn't matter in the eyes of God whether you are a slave or you are free or whether you are rich or you are poor. It doesn't matter in the eyes of God whether you are man or woman. And why? Because we have all been baptized into Christ Jesus. And the foot of the cross is level ground. All of us have sinned and all of us have fallen short of God's glory. None of us can live up to the perfect standard of God's law. None of us can live up to the perfect standard of God's righteousness. And so no matter what these external factors are that we live with, we all need grace. We all need the forgiveness of sin, and we all need the newness of life that only Jesus Christ can provide. And so in the church, there should be no partiality. There should be no special treatment. There should be no special honor given to a person because of their wealth or their social standing or the clothes they wear or the job they have or the positions they have in the community, none of those things matter when we enter this place because we are all one in the same. We are sinners saved by grace. And so after making this statement, James then goes on to explain further why it is that, that we should think this way and why it is that we should believe this way and show no partiality in the church. In verse 2, he continues on and says, For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing, and you say, You sit here in a good place, while you say to the other one, You stand over there or sit at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? See, if we were to give special treatment to someone in the church, James says that we become evil in our hearts. James says that we are become evil judges with evil intentions. Now let's think about that for a minute, because why would we want to give someone a special place of honor in our church? Why would we want to give someone a special seat? And why would we then want to all of a sudden cast other people away and make them sit in a less prominent place? Well, if we're honest with ourselves, if that's the kind of business that we're conducting, if that's the regular practice of our church, there's only a few reasons why people would engage in such behavior. Some people like to take those who are less sightly and less seemly and cast them off to the side so that this church would look like a better place to be. Other people would want to have more prominent figures sitting in a more prominent place in the church because then as others look around, they see, oh, look, who it is that attends our church. 
Look at the wealth that we have here. Look at the prosperity we have here. Look at the influence we have here. This is a place where powerful people gather. And, and as we do those kinds of things, and as we try to lift people up in that way, God says that we are evil, that we have evil intentions, and that we have evil hearts, because all we're looking for is our own promotion, and all we're looking for is our own gain, and all we are looking for is to make ourselves look better in this place. And that's not what church is all about. Because as we gather in this place together, we shouldn't be focused on ourselves. We shouldn't be looking at our own abilities. We shouldn't be looking at how great we are. We shouldn't be flaunting the building that we have. And we shouldn't be flaunting the great things that happen here. The only thing that we should boast in is Jesus Christ. The only thing we should boast in is the death and burial and resurrection of our Lord. The only thing that we should boast in is the sufficient sacrifice that Christ has made because that is the foundation for any good work that we see taking place here. And see, when we engage in partiality and we engage in making other people seem like more and other people feel like less, we become so far away from Jesus. Because truth of the matter is, is that if Jesus walked into our midst, living the way that he did when he was here on earth, looking the way he did when he was here on earth. The Bible describes him as a man of sorrows. The Bible describes him as a man not having a place to lay his head. And if we were engaging in partiality and Jesus walked into our midst, we'd probably ask him to take a seat in the back. Because that's not the heart of our Savior. James then continues on, and he gives us two very distinct reasons as to why we should not practice partiality in our church. He continues on in the next verse, and he says, Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? So this is a very interesting statement, and really, if you understand Jewish culture during this time period, and again, James is writing to a very Jewish audience, they believed and they held to the idea that if you were prosperous in your work, if you were wealthy, if your land was fertile, if your cows had lots of calves and you were doing really well in the world, it's because God's blessing was on you. And that if you were stricken with a disease, blindness, maybe you were lame, maybe your crops didn't grow, maybe you had a hard time, that it was because of some sin that you committed. And this was deeply esteemed in Jewish culture during this time period. And so the mindset of the Jewish person would be, well, if there's someone who is poor walking into the church, they must have done something to deserve it. If there's someone walking into the church and they're struggling in some way, it's because there's sin in their life and they need to get rid of that sin so that God can come and bless them again. And yet what James here says here turns that whole idea on his head because James says that it is God who has chosen the poor to be rich in faith. See, what James is trying to point out to us here is that God has allowed people to struggle in this world because it increases their faith and it increases their reliance on him 
and him alone. Because fact of the matter is, it does not require as much faith to live your day-to-day life when you have a bank account that can supply all your needs. As it does when you wake up every single day trusting that the Lord will provide, give you your daily bread, and get you through one more day. I remember there was a time just recently in our lives where we were wondering kind of what we were going to do. We're in the middle of orthodontic work for our kids, and we're getting ready to go through the process of braces. And oh man, is that an eye-opening experience. We went to an orthodontist and we sat down with them and they, you know, they walked through and they gave us their analysis and they showed us pictures and they showed us x-rays. They did all these kinds of things. And the whole time I'm sitting there thinking, yeah, yeah, I get it. I understand. Like, let's get to the point. And so they sit down and they open up the folder and they say, okay, well, for your son's braces, yeah, that's going to cost you somewhere in the realm of six to $7,000. Oh, and by the way, for the first phase of your daughter's braces, it's going to cost about $2,500 for the first phase. And what we expect from you today is a down payment for your son of about $2,800, a down payment for your daughter of about $1,800, and then $250 a month for your son and $180 a month for your daughter. And when would you like to sign up? And I said, I don't. (laughs) And I remember leaving those appointments and calling Megan on the phone and laying out the numbers and sitting there being like, okay, we don't know how we're going to do that. We don't know how we're going to take care of it. And, you know, you can crunch the numbers and you can only make the, the, the dollar stretch so far. And we sat there thinking to ourselves, like, how is all this going to work out? And so you know what we did? We prayed. We brought that concern to our Heavenly Father. We brought that that need to him and said, Lord, our kids need braces and we don't know what we're going to do. And you know what? If I had a hundred grand sitting in my checking account, I don't think I would have prayed that prayer. Probably would have sat with them that day and written a check and said, here you go. Let's just pay the whole thing off and be done. But that's not where we were. And our lack of security in this world has resulted and developed in an increase in faith in our Heavenly Father. And so, you know, what we did is we went to another orthodontics office. We talked to another person. And it was comforting to hear them say all the same things our kids needed, the same chart of care, the same kind of progression that we would follow. And all of a sudden, I'm sitting there waiting for the hammer to drop again, and I'm kind of more prepared for this time, so my jaw's not going to hit the floor. But then, you know what? My jaw hit the floor because that orthodontist says, oh, we accept your insurance. You're completely covered. You're going to pay zero out of pocket. And I can't tell you that that's how God answers prayer every single time. But man, in that moment, that that little bit of faith that we had, it paid off. And God took care of us. And our kids are now in the process of getting what they need. And God is good. And what's the result of leaving that second orthodontist appointment? We pray and we come to the Lord and we say, thank you, God. Thank you for taking care of us. Thank you for watching over us. Thank you for making sure that everything is going to be okay. And you know what? 
if I had had the money in the account, I would not have prayed those prayers. I would not have seen God act in my life that way. I wouldn't have even noticed it. It would have just been another Tuesday rather than a monumental moment and guiding stone in my life that's going to keep me going for years and years to come. Because now I can look back on that Tuesday and I can sit there and say, my God provides. My God takes care of me. He has in the past. He will in the future. And that's what James means when he says that God has chosen the poor to be rich in faith. He has chosen the poor to depend on him. He has chosen the poor to rely on him. And the more you slide towards that end of that spectrum, the greater faith that you enjoy and the greater joy you are to your heavenly father. Because none can please the Lord without And not only that, but God it also says here that it has, he has chosen them and made them heirs of the kingdom of God. So you know what that means for all of those who are poor in this life and poor in this place? They receive, as a result of their poverty, an amazing, rock-solid, steady faith in God. And then one day, as they enter into the eternal kingdom, they're heirs to the king. They will have everything they need. Poverty will be no more. And so who really wins at the end of the day? Those who are rich in faith. Because they please God. And they enter into his kingdom. More wealthy than they ever thought they could be. And that is the goodness of our Savior. Any pain and any struggle we have in this life is temporary. And all it does is build within us that which is eternal everlasting faith in Jesus. James goes on in this passage and he begins to say something about those who are wealthy and those who are rich. And, and at face value, it almost seems like James is saying, and yeah, rich people are bad people anyway. That's not what he's saying, but this is what it says in the text. It says in verse 6, But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you? The ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? So all of a sudden you read through this passage and he goes to this great length of lifting up the poor and saying how they're rich in faith and God has chosen them for good things. And then he goes, and plus you got all these lousy rich people anyways. Why would you want to give them any honor? What James is saying in this passage is he is making reference to something that was very prominent and very common in the culture of the day. See, what James is trying to combat against is that idea that wealth equals godliness. Because some might sit there and say, again, well, if someone is wealthy and they come into our church, the reason they're wealthy is because they're so righteous and good and godly, and therefore God has blessed them. And since God has blessed them, we want to give them that special honor in the church. And James says, that's faulty thinking. And you all know it's faulty thinking because there is a truth that you live with in our culture day after day after day after day, and it's this. During the first century, Israel was an agricultural society. I mean, the entire history of Israel is agricultural. You go all the way back to Abraham and, and, and Isaac and Jacob, they were shepherds. They had flocks, and that's where they gained their wealth. 
And so Israel is this agricultural society, which means that those who are rich in that society are the ones who have land, the ones who can produce, the ones who have crops. Maybe they have olive vineyards. Maybe they have grape vineyards. Maybe they have great pieces of pasture land where they can go and raise huge herds. What would happen in this time period is the rich and the wealthy landowners who had all of this produce, well, they would lend money to poor, small farmers. They would lend them that money so that they could buy their seed for the season. And those farmers would go out and they would plant their seed in faith. They would harvest their seed in faith. They would then take the proceeds from their crop, pay back the loan that they made, and then live off of the remainder till the next season where they would start the whole process again. And that was just a normal process that first century Israel saw and went through. The problem with this system is what happens when you have a bad crop? What happens when the rains don't come? And what happens when you can't get enough out of the ground in order to feed your family, let alone pay back the loan? Well, that's when the rich and the wealthy would drag people into court, as it's talking about here in James chapter 2. They would drag them into court and they would say, this man owes me money. This man, I want him to repay the loan. He can't repay the loan, therefore I demand his land. And the court would usually rule in favor with these rich and wealthy landowners. And you would see the rich stealing and taking land from the poor. And what James is saying here is he's saying, don't you understand that this is ungodly behavior? Don't you understand that these wealthy, rich people, they don't need the land from these poor farmers. They don't need the loan paid back. They're taking it because they can. They're taking it because they want to. It's also important to understand we don't have any indication from the passage that he's talking about wealthy people within the church. He's talking about a general state of affairs in Israel. And the point is not rich people bad. The point is wealth does not equal godliness. So again, if you think you're going to give someone a special place of honor in the church because of the money that they have, and try to give yourself the excuse that the reason is because, well, they must be blessed by God. That ain't the case. Scripture says that rain falls on the righteous and the wicked alike. Scripture says that as we live in this life, sometimes the wicked do prosper. But at the end of all things, God will make all things right. So as we gather in the church together... We need to understand and we need to remember that there is to be no partiality in this place. Whether you are rich, whether you are poor, whether you dress well, whether you do not, no matter where you find yourself and no matter what background you come from, we are on equal footing here. There is no Jew, there is no Greek, there is no rich, there is no poor, there is no man, there is no woman. We are all one in Christ Jesus. And when we remove those distinctions from among us, when we begin to take off those labels, and when we stop putting labels on the people around us, what we see is something pretty amazing. What we begin to see is that every single person sitting in the room here today has their own unique set of struggles and difficulties in this life. 
what we begin to see is that God is using those struggles and those difficulties to make us and shape us into the image of Jesus Christ. And as we see that happening in our midst, we see the Spirit working in miraculous ways. And suddenly the focus is removed about who's sitting next to me or how do I look and how do I appear. And our focus can be where it should be. Our focus is on Christ. Our focus is on what Christ has done. Our focus is on what Christ is continuing to do. And our focus is on giving him all of the praise, honor, and glory that we can muster. Let us not be a church that judges one another. Let us not be a church that gives someone special places of honor because of these external things that God says really don't matter. Let us be a church so in love with Jesus that we love one another regardless of what social standing we have. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the joy that we have in serving you. We thank you for the love of your son, Jesus. And Lord, we thank you that you don't show partiality. Because Lord, if you showed partiality, I wouldn't make the cut. But out of your grace, out of your love, out of your kindness, you have saved me. You have forgiven me. And you call me your child. And Lord, I don't deserve these things. But praise be to the impartial judge of all things. <coughs> praise be to the one who says that there is no condemnation, not because I am good, but because I am in Christ. Praise be to the one who has brought us all together in one baptism under one name, the mighty name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord. We love you and we praise you all in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.